0: so today we're going to talk about trauma, particularly from a listener who has written us about her husband who was traumatized in the police force. Hey, you're listening to Foreplay Radio for couples and sex therapy, and I'm Lori Watson, your sex therapist,
1: and I'm George Fowler, your marriage therapist.
0: We want to take a wide lens on sexuality and talking with you about what we've learned as experts in the field on how you bring your body your mind and your brain to the sexual experience.
1: We want to expand people's perspective of just talking about sex, that it's not something to be avoided, it's actually something to embrace and to lean into with an openness to be changed by what you hear.
0: So we got a long one here to read, a letter from a listener who particularly was drawn to you and your experiences in PDFD as a first responder and is excited about you joining the podcast because she resonates with that. Her husband is a police officer, and she says, I'm really hopeful that the addition of George will be of specific benefit to my particular situation. I was married for 25 years to a 15-year big city police sergeant who was just diagnosed with complex trauma and PTSD. We were both raised in a very restrictive religious atmosphere and have struggled with the sexual component of our relationship from the start. We each have been each other's only sexual partner and waited until marriage to engage in intercourse. But I had every reason to believe that our sex life would be satisfying. I'm sure you've guessed by now that one of us is a sexual withdrawer and emotional protector. And if you've guessed that that's my husband, you would be correct. We have sex about once a month now. I almost always initiate, and it's driving me to distraction. We have a wonderful counselor who specializes in first responder families, but I'm running out of patience. My husband says he needs me to seduce him, but I find it hard to seduce someone who it seems is not that into me and has retreated further than ever into his internal world. I read and studied about trauma and how it affects individuals and families, and I've even recently become certified in trauma-informed yoga. Wow, she's going all out. I can't get my husband to read anything. I come from a long line of broken, cold marriages. My parents haven't shared a bed in 20 years, and I'm afraid I'm doomed. I've done a lot of work on myself with many miles to go, but I am desperate for close, intimate, passionate, physical connection, help. Gosh, my heart goes out to this woman. I mean, she clearly loves her husband, wants him, wants him to be healed, You know, is doing all this work on trauma, doing all this work sexually to figure it out and fearful that she's just going to replicate her past.
1: Right. And there are a lot of directions we can go with this. I mean, I think in another podcast that we're going to have to talk about just how frustrating it is for some of these pursuers to want engagement and not get it, mm-hmm. right, and how we could help them be more patient and stand up for what they deserve. Right. right. But I guess the what seems most helpful here is to just try to understand you know the tough spot our husbands in, and you know even as you're reading it, I I was my brain was wandering off to, you know on on nine eleven, I can remember, you know when I'm down at the site and I'm crawling into these voids and with all the smoke and you can't see anything, you know I'll never forget it, and I, and I write about this in my book Sacred Stress that, I heard this loud gonging sound, mm. and that sound meant. You needed to clear the site because the adjoining buildings were likely to collapse. And if they collapse, you're going to be buried alive.
0: Oh, my God.
1: The problem is we're like an hour into this thing, and who knows if we're going to find one of our sp- brothers who are lost. Right, right, What are you going to do in that gong? We need to keep going. So, you know, that, that need to turn off your emotions, to focus on your task, it's so adaptive in those moments of, of stress
0: of having to accomplish something exactly of going forward
1: right but now how what it takes to turn off those emotional signals mm-hmm. now all of a sudden so a couple hours later I'm heading home how do I talk to my wife about any of this stuff mm. Mm. right so it's 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 I'm always trying to connect with this great training that your husband has to try to avoid these emotional signals because as a police officer you you can't really have a moral debate about what's going to happen and should I not uh, you know all of these right. you processes you have to act you because to if act. you don't
0: act people die right
1: it's about being decisive
0: yeah you have to
1: right so um, this training that is helping him professionally is hurting him
0: emotionally. personally right and, and clearly is, he's he's completely shut down now exactly uh, and i, I don't want to go too far away from your experience for just one minute because I just, you know, feel that in my heart. I'm so, so grateful that you lived, and can imagine what it cost you to keep going, and of course what it cost the two of you, you and your wife, you know, to process that and figure that out eventually. But I mean, it feels so—I don't know—it feels so scary. It feels so, you know, I almost feel weepy about it. Just what people like you and this man have to struggle with in order to do something that keeps the rest of us safe and saves us, you know, literally. I can I mean, see my guy, training
1: kicking in now. You're saying like I can feel weepy and emotional. I'm <laughs> like, just turn that stuff off. We got a podcast to do, right? Maybe that's that. but You don't the, want that. You don't want that. It's it's trying to help understand that this avoidance of emotions becomes overused. Sometimes it's very effective and necessary and adaptive, but it becomes too comfortable. Any good trauma work is trying to get people to confront their fears. Mm-hmm. They have good reasons to want it. if you look at the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, the hypervigilance, the negative thoughts, intrusive images, you know, the avoidance. All of that is trying to make the person head away from their fears. Mm-hmm. So you, we're picking up a theme here on these podcasts that so often when people head away from their emotional signals, in the short term it makes them feel safer, but in the long term it just creates lower levels of engagement and more thicker walls.
0: I, I would also say we had a conversation last night about transference. And to me, transference is, is a shared emotion, and, and we're not always sure who originates it. But I mean, I think what happens in coupleships, right, is like my weepiness, my fear is, is something that I'm picking up from them, something that maybe I felt from your history. It's present. It's real. It's not just in me. It's also between us. It's between this couple. And oftentimes the partner feels the frustration mm-hmm. of their partner not being able to reach out. You know, mm-hmm. she's... Working, 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 and she feels so frustrated. And, of course, it would be frustrating to her. I understand that. But she's also, like, there's something between us that it's almost like reading their mind. I mean, she he must be as frustrated in this lonely, separate place. And she's carrying the whole burden of the frustration. Does that make sense? It does. Like, when we're with our patients and we they tell us something or our friend. And, I mean, and we feel something emotionally. It's... It's the in the between space. It's not just I'm I'm not just feeling sorry for what happened. I'm also sort of absorbing emotionally what is between us.
1: And that's Really important to have a successful life, to see the opportunity and feeling these emotions and, and allowing yourself to go. There's a liberation in that. If you always have to put restraints, if your body's constantly scanning for the possibility of threats, then you're going to miss all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what's happening with somebody who's experienced a trauma, right? Mm-hmm. It's like their, their nervous systems get stuck in the higher red alert place.
0: Yes, and
1: it creates this feedback loop, which a lot of us call a trauma trap. That Mm -hmm. literally, because of the trauma, the world becomes a scarier place. You you need increased amounts of safety in your life because you've just experienced something pretty horrific.
0: Mm -hmm. But if you go toward the safety, then then what happens to the body of the person who is traumatized? What do you?
1: Well, what is safe? Is, is, av- is avoiding situations where that might trigger that trauma response, which means you start to kind of hide more and seclude yourself and retreat from the world.
0: So when they go toward sex that is supposedly this safe place, they have to they, they can't do that, right? Because it's too much vulnerability. So and if they reduce their their barriers, their blocks, their walls, the intrusiveness of the trauma is going to come, right? The thoughts about it, the the memories, all that. And so they're avoiding that situation of, of literal safety. They need safety. They need to be comforted. They need to feel their partner's body so that they can get regulated again. But they can't afford to do that because what they're up against is all this fear and the possibility of being flooded, essentially, by that trauma. It's
1: a horrible combination. The world becomes less safe, which means you need your partner more. Mm -hmm. But the partner also becomes more unsafe because you don't know how to communicate this. Mm -hmm. And you start to create a negative cycle with your partner. So now that's not a resource. So now the world becomes even more unsafe because your partner's not there. There's
0: no place to go. It just keeps coming
1: back, feeding back on itself. Uh And
0: And this has been going on for our listener for 15 years, right? Married 25, he's been a cop for 15 years. And it
1: could show itself differently. Not all trauma survivors are gonna not want sex. Some of them are gonna want sex two times a day, every single day, because that's their way of feeling a sense of control. Right? But when the world feels helpless because of the trauma, people want to have more control. Some gather that through avoidance, Some gather that through, you know obsessive, compulsive ways of making the world safer. But it, the goal is the same. It's to make the world safer.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's true that actually in like PTSD, 70% of the of people who have PTSD, they're sexually disrupted. I mean, you're right, sometimes it becomes obsessive either an attempt to fend I, I'm not sure that it's that sexual that sometimes it's an attempt to fend off feeling like they're they are using orgasm to fend off feeling other things mm-hmm. and sometimes it becomes where they're desperately like any addiction almost they're desperately trying to feel something so let, let's come back in a little bit and further explore what is happening in this couple awesome. about why sex is so turned off and, and it sounds like lots of things are turned off between them
1: Speaking with certified sex therapist Lori Watson from Awakening Center for Couples and Intimacy. Lori, what is an intensive?
0: So, an intensive is 12 to 14 hours of therapy all in one weekend. And it's a way to really make fast progress compared to weekly therapy. I mean, there's just So much more you can get done when you have a chunk of
1: time. Overcome the challenges in your relationship and your sex life. Learn more about Intensives and Awakening Center's other services at awakenloveandsex.com.
0: Hey, I want to let you guys know all about George. He's written and contributed to several books, and I'd especially like to draw your attention to his book, Sacred Stress, a radically different approach to using life's challenges for positive change. His book is about a mission on how you adopt new strategies and turn stresses into a positive force in your life. And who among us doesn't live with a lot of stress these days? We'll keep you posted as to all he's doing. But George and other EFT therapists all around the country and the world hold couples retreats called Hold Me Tight, which is developed by Sue Johnson, and it helps secure your own relationship. If you'd like therapy with George, find him at georgefowler.com. One of the things that this woman isn't feeling, but I think is important to talk about when your partner has been traumatized, and I particularly see it in the women, the partners of husbands who have been traumatized, is sometimes you said the world isn't safe and they're resonating in this highly pitched way about the trauma. And that often is where women turn off to their partner. It's they want to comfort them, they want to be with them, but they almost feel this high pitch. Mm -hmm. And so then they can't relax sexually and they need to. And so that's why sex sometimes goes wrong on her side of it is because she's resonating with his trauma. This woman, for whatever reason, is able to kind of stay pretty clear of that and still want him, still want to be with him, which is wonderful and a gift, especially a gift if she can get through to him.
1: Right. So let's try to understand how to get through to him. How do we help this man in this situation? confront these fears instead of just giving into the avoidance that wants that's slowly numbing out his life. I think it to understand it's what we call that therapeutic window where we don't want to overwhelm the person with their trauma, but we also don't want to avoid talking about the trauma because then you can never heal it. So there's that sweet spot in the middle Mm -hmm. that says, all right, can you tolerate what's your capacity like to kind of revisit this Mm -hmm. and If it becomes too much, how do we ground you and kind of get you to regulate? Because if it becomes too much, then those strategies are going to kick back in again. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what's so frustrating for the partner. It's like, when's the right time is never a right time. That's because this person is torn between these two places, which is I don't want to get overwhelmed. But yet, if I never talk about it, nothing ever improves.
0: I never get healed.
1: I never get healed.
0: And so in my theory, I think they've got to talk about it. They've got to talk about it with their partner, too. I mean, how did you decide at some point to talk a little bit about it with your wife? I, I know you guys got healed of it. So how did, you know, what made you say, it's it's worth the risk of telling her what I went through?
1: It's a difficult process you know it starts with a few sentences and it increases with success over time you know but there's a saying in every firehouse that says whatever you see here stays here mm-hmm. you're strongly and let's pull back a second i really need my listeners to understand that when you are off in war or in one of these trauma situations the levels of engagement are so high the right. people you're with Get it. You're laughing and crying and sleeping together and eating together. You're doing so much emotionally. The levels are through the roof, Mm -hmm. right? And then you come back, you come back into a, a world or into an environment where people really don't get it. Yeah, and you're encouraged not to talk about these things. They're
0: going out so to work. They're they're doing other activities. Right. So you're
1: worried about the sports scores and food and like these things that aren't it's so not relevant. survival. Is not survival. So there's a crash that comes for any trauma survivor when they get reintroduced back into everyday life. Right. It's a setup for both partners to really miss each other. Mm-hmm. So I think what what I had to learn to do is I didn't need to share the details of what I saw or what I smelled or, you know, but I could start to share what it felt like to be so helpless, to kind of be looking for people and not find them. Mm-hmm. I remember the, the dogs, the search dogs at Ground Zero, were getting depressed after days of never finding oh, anyone my alive. Gosh. So what they would do is they would actually they would bury live firefighters so that so those dogs could have some success and feel like oh, they found like somebody. It was worth, it was worth, worth their it. time, oh, right? My gosh. So that, like, how can I talk about those feelings? All
0: right, my how, wife can how relate. How could you to not that. talk about those feelings? I, 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 you're the trauma. That's a guy. good pursuer the, answer. That's a good pursuer answer. <laughs> you're the trauma guy, but I just, I, I just. I don't know how people can go on without because the feeling. Is I mean, I know you had all f- your buddies, but they didn't have your experience.
1: Well, the feeling is if I'm going to talk about it with my wife, I'm going to have to feel it again. Mm-hmm. Talking about it means you have to feel it again. I don't want to feel it again. So that's one of the big draws of even initiating a conversation. Mm-hmm. Then there's the fear that if I bring it up, it's going to trigger a lot of fears in my wife and she's going to sure. worry about me. So I don't want her to worry about it. You're so it makes her. a lot of sense to the protect protector. her and myself by yeah. not having the conversations. What I'm not recognizing is not having the conversation is also leaving me alone in these places. right? And the, the numbness that starts to take over your life as you chronically, habitually put up walls to turn off your emotional signals. That I'm not recognizing.
0: But you're also saying I don't need to tell those details. I I I'm having trouble with that. It's like how how do people get through this without telling the details?
1: Well, I think there's a time and a place of when you're talking about specific traumas. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in battle and you lost your comrade. I mean, you do need to re the, the science behind I think we live in exciting times because we're starting to see what's happening live in the brain. If we're looking at fMRI machines or what what we're starting to discover- What, what
0: parts of the brain light up when people are Stead triggered or-, or right. Yeah, and, and comforted too, which is great directive research.
1: I get excited about the theory of change and what happens to a traumatized brain is it does need to replay the memory. But the mm. whole- Key is as it's replaying the memory, can it attach a new experience to that old memory? So if I'm thinking about, you know, working with a, a lady who was molested when she was younger and nobody was there for her, mm-hmm. right? We need to bring her brain back to kind of share that scene. I was in my room and this is what would happen and this is how I felt. And I look out the window and her body will go back there. But the difference is she's now sharing that with her husband. Witnessing, holding her, telling it's not her fault, right, that he loves her regardless, that she did everything she could. That's the corrective emotional experience that starts to rewire the brain. Right. So So, we do want these traumatic episodes. When it's safe, you have to build the capacity to get there. You have to start talking globally about things. I I feel kind of guilty. I feel helpless. Having your partner respond and having some success and letting them in starts to build the capacity to get further into the details. A lot of partners want the details right out of the gate, and it's just too overwhelming. That therapeutic window, it just becomes too much, and that person shuts down.
0: So the partner... Goes too fast. Yes. Uh huh. And doesn't let the person kind of wander their way into it, maybe ask too many detailed questions, has their own body get in alert. And that tells their partner, the traumatized partner, don't share. I'm hurting my wife by sharing this with her. So she needs to. What I talk about with partners sometimes is you need to hear the whispers first. It's like you have to hear in the beginning something that's significant and just receive that. And it's almost the way she receives it in her body with patience, slow kindness, without necessarily pushing. Well, then what happened?
1: Right. I was working with a special forces soldier, and he'd been deployed multiple times. And he came back, and he just this is this is the start of a sharing experience. He's not mm-hmm. talking about what he did downrange. He starts to talk about what happens to him when he goes to Walmart, mm-hmm. right? So he goes to Walmart on a Black Friday, and all of a sudden, what does he feel? He feels nothing. He feels empty mm-hmm. as he sees the chaos and all the energy and the kind of laughter, and he can't relate to it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so right? different than his world. It's so wise. different than his world. It's not survival. It's right. shopping.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so if he's in session with his wife and he's trying to describe that empty feeling, right? And, and we do want to get people in their bodies. Yeah. So much of the trauma work is really highlighting, this is where it's stored, not in the, you know, in the frontal cortex where people are telling, you know, sharing information, it's stored in their bodies and what it, that's like. So when this guy can describe that emptiness in his chest going down to his stomach- Right. And his wife can hear that and say, I have no idea you're feeling that Mm. in Walmart. Right. And Mm -hmm. she reaches over and she starts to rub his chest and she starts to rub his stomach. And I ask him, what's that like as your wife's hand is rubbing your chest? And he says, I can feel warmth, Hmm. right? It's that warmth in Mm -hmm. a place of emptiness that starts to retrain his body that is a very different way of doing it. His sharing didn't lead to further avoidance. It actually led to some warmth. Mm -hmm. So, so much of what we're trying to do is to Get those those examples of success that start to build that muscle memory towards further sharing, further vulnerability, you know, further safety.
0: And, and what I like about that example is it's it's kind of wordless. I mean, she's not offering something that could be trite or it's okay now or it's just touch. That is connecting almost like she's reaching into the empty place the best she can. that's right and and touching him. and it's I, I mean, i I think that is some of what drives me to work in sexuality because it's such a powerful place of uh, being regulated. and but it's more than just that. It's in this example, it's it's her touch, her understanding that gets communicated by the body which where trauma is stored, right? Trauma is stored in the body. And I think I want to go back a minute. You said something about how when we tell the trauma story or we tell the details and a person is there empathically, holding us, touching us, holding our hand, listening to us, looking at us, it's such a different experience than being alone in that lost trauma. Whereas when PTSD is happening, the story is being told in their head over and over again without the other. Ooh. You know, There's nobody that they're telling it to. They're just telling it in their own head, and that continues the alert, the vigilance, the the raised blood pressure that says, oh, my God, it's happening again. It's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And, and they're off. They have panic attacks and things like that. But when they're telling the other, they're grounded. Somebody's listening, somebody's caring. And I think you're right. I often ask people to maybe do something sexually that is a six. And so I, I ask people to rate things, scale of one to 10, you know, how anxious does this make you? And we settle on a six and it, it really doesn't matter because everybody's six is a different, but that seems to be the right amount of tolerable anxiety right? that they can take an action, take a risk. And I think what you're saying is we want the person with trauma to tell us in pieces so that they are not going to an 7, 8, 9, 10 where they get the panicky feeling. But we also need them to tell something that mm-hmm. is anxiety-producing so that we can be with them and help heal them. And so that's what she needs. Is so. So what can she say? First of all, I think listening to the part that he has told her, the whispers, and how else can she encourage him? Because I think this is... As an officer, right, a police officer, this is chronic. You know, he's probably had to make all kinds of choices through many years that are traumatic.
1: Well, I think we're going to have to devote a whole podcast to how do we help her stand up in more gentle, calmer ways. Mm -hmm. The first step is how do we get him to really want to face these fears, and the only answer to that is he has to have some success in little pieces to start leading him towards further and further sharing. So, a lot to talk about as we okay. just jump into trauma. But I think what we want to do next week is get more focused when the trauma is
0: sexual. Okay, let's talk about that next. Thanks for listening to Foreplay Radio. Hi, foreplay fam. The biggest support you can give us is sharing our podcast with a friend. You can find us also on socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we'd love your questions and feedback and really do use these to guide our show. We'd also love it if you'd rate and review us. If you're interested in learning more about us and our mission, look us up on our hot new website, 4 Therapy.com.
1: Call in your questions to the Foreplay play question voicemail. Dial 833-MY4PLAY. That's 833, the number 4, play. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor.